Lord, as we just dive in now, as never can pray too many times, we just ask that you clear the deck in our minds and help us focus on the things right in front of us. It's hard to do with all the babies in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen. Paul Harvey told of a five-year-old who was in the backyard uh, brushing her dog's teeth with her dad's toothbrush. And when dad asked what she was doing, she replied, Daddy, no worries. I'll put your toothbrush right back where it always goes. (laughs) And so, yeah, there's joy. There's an adventure in parenting, isn't there? And so um, it goes from brushing the dog's teeth at five to using it as a lethal weapon on our little brother when you're seven And then you take that same toothbrush at 11 and do nothing with it because you don't brush your teeth when you're 11. And the reason we know this is because we have the breath test, you know. Did you brush your teeth? Yeah. You know, let me smell. You know, and then you fall over and almost die. So so you know they didn't brush your teeth. And then when they're 16 and 17, the same toothbrush gets put in their pocket in case they run into McDreamy at school. You know, so we don't want any garlic on our breath or anything like that. So, yes, the whole point. Yes, you know, they said, hey, we are good parents. I'll tell you what, you already are good parents. You know how I know that? You made time to come here. That's half the battle, right? And so don't get overwhelmed. There's going to be a lot of ideal things said that show us that we've got a long way to go. But really, the idea is to reaffirm the things you already are doing right and then kind of remind you, whoops, I forgot about that. Or then uh, some of you are at a brick wall and there'll be some new fresh ideas. And so that's really uh, what we're saying here. Uh, So children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for him. As we saw slide 127 and verse three. And so there's no task more noble, right? So we're already in the introduction for your notebook sake. Uh, no, no responsibility more sacred because it comes from God and parenting is a stewardship from him. And, and if God is going to uh, look at our lives at the end and we're accountable to him, surely the way we parented will be one of the things we'll be talking about with him. So we want to make sure that we do our best to be faithful to the stewardship of raising that eternal soul. You know, when uh, Jordan, our firstborn, was born, uh, I looked at her and said, wow, an eternal soul. This, this person, according to the Bible, will live forever one place or the other, right? We have eternal life. We're eternal beings. But the way right there of seeing an eternal soul entrusted to me that doesn't belong to me, all people belong to God, 
ultimately. And God said, this is a person I want, I'm entrusting to you to help them get started to know and love me and distinguish right from wrong and to be somebody who's going to be useful to God because they ultimately we all trace our source and purpose back to our creator, right? We, nobody here decided to just show up, right? We didn't birth ourselves. We didn't, we didn't, and the, we're here because somebody else wanted us to be here and uh, he gives us kids like that. So uh, that's an awesome responsibility. In 2010, researchers at Duke University Medical School um, studied and followed uh, hundreds of babies, I think 500, uh, who had very affectionate and attentive parents. And they grew up to be, from their point of view, uh, from the babies who grew up's point of view, happier, more resilient, and less anxious adults. The negative uh, impact of the lack of affection to some, the adults struggle to connect socially, relating to people, and just seem distracted because they didn't get the foundation. They didn't get that self-worth, I'm important, I'm loved, I matter in this world. And a lot of people don't get that message and, and they, they spend a lot of years. I think the goal of, the, of some parenting, and I said this to Barb, is to give them a, 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 as a least to talk to a therapist about as possible, <laughs> right? Uh, I remember uh, butting heads with one of them growing up and saying, listen, I'll pay for your therapy bills, but right now, you know, you have to obey me. <laughs> yes, and, and so um, our job really then is to uh, raise them for the Lord uh, and uh, pre prepare them for himself and not to mention point them to eternal life we're christians here for the most part and uh let me read a, a recent poll here the current barna study indicated that nearly half of americans who accept christ as lord do so before they reach the age of 13 so whatever mom and dad are doing in the home half of heaven when you get there and it says there'll be countless people Half of them, uh, and, and some say a little more than half, got there because um, they had a firm foundation and they were introduced to Christ when they were very young. And so uh, train up a child in the way they should go and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. This isn't one of those uh, scriptures you can just press too hard. Generally speaking, all things being equal, when you raise a kid a certain way and you do so in a healthy way, uh, they don't want to depart from the love of God, the blessings of God, the, the blessing of Christian community, all of that. And so we are to make the gospel attractive to them, as it says in Titus. But, and, and so I did hear somebody say, kids are born, they don't come with instruction. Well, that's a, a, an unbeliever's point of view. Believers believe that, oh, yeah, they do. They come with the book from the God who gave us life. The, the instructions to raise children in the Bible are specific, practical, and inspirational because the God who entrusts a task. So if he says, I want you to raise these children in the instruction of the Lord, he will provide the teaching to do that 
and the grace and the strength to do that. So the one who calls always equips. You know, God will never ask anybody to do something he doesn't show them how to do it and give them the grace to do it, right? And so we have it right there. Uh, that's the key, right? So parenting is to read and understand the instructions, uh, to learn. Uh, we learn and understand what he wants with his children, and we do our best to first apply the truth to our own lives and teach and model for them and leave the rest to God. Uh, Barb and I, let me say before we start out, and Barb is in Spokane being a mom right now and a grandma. And um, we have three wonderful adult children, 30, 28, 26, and two adorable grandchildren that I could show you pictures for days, but let's move on. Uh, We have... um, these children who are, are uh, now our job is really basically over, uh, but parenting is never really over. I mean, I'm talking about minor children in the home. Uh, uh, parenting adult children is, is upon request, you know, because nobody really likes a backseat driver. So you have to be careful uh, until the backseat driver saves your life, right? And then we appreciate the back seat driver and so uh, that's where we're at Barb and I um, you know I want to sh- to incorporate some of the things that uh, worked some of the things that didn't work and you know a lot of people ask older people uh, with multiple children what would you do differently and so that's woven into uh, these uh, commandments if you well, uh, moreover, I did a, a doctorate in ministry and we had to have a project, a thesis. And so they said, pick something for your church to work on. So I picked a parenting conference. And so for two years, I had to think really long and hard about biblical parenting for two years. And I had to write a thesis on it. So uh, some of that is woven in with the personal ups and downs and failures is failure. So because you know how to parent somebody or what would be right in the situation, as you well know, every wrong thing, every weak thing that we've ever done, we know. We know this is not the right thing to do, but we end up doing it, right? And out of so many different reasons, we're just broken ourselves or we're just lazy or we're careless in the moment or we're morally compromised, whatever. And so... Parenting God's way is pretty much not for the faint of heart. It's hard work. It's about sacrifice. It's about being other-centered and being in full control of yourself. So uh, it's quite a chore, but with God's grace, uh, we can do it. And it's a mixed bag of big payoffs, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. And so... You, you, you know, our job this morning is to bring the wisdom and impart some of that so that we'll reap more joy. Do you see that? Right? Now, that said, you know, kids have their own callings. They have their own weaknesses. They have their own vulnerabil- vulnerabilities. They have their own callings. They have free will. So it doesn't really... Uh, 
always matter how well somebody is raised because people who make big mistakes, who really mess up their lives and cause a lot of pain and suffering, were parented pretty good. Uh, Franklin Graham has a quote. He said, my father was a world-famous evangelist and my mother the godliest woman I've ever known, but I still spent years rebelling and living in the dark of my own ignorance and sin. But by the good grace of God, I came to my senses. But my time in sin had nothing to do with the lack of good parenting and loving parents that I had, but everything to do with my own bad choices. So one person said, do your best, pray that it's blessed, and leave the rest to the sovereignty and love of God. In the, at the end of the day... Kids got to find their own way. They got to find their, who they are. They got to figure out who Jesus is on their own. We set them up. We make the gospel attractive. We live it out in front of them. And then they have to choose. Let's trust God's sovereignty. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about these 10 areas. Let's start with uh, thou shalt put Christ first in your life. So that should be commandment number one. Now, and we'll take breaks along the way. Good Christians make good parents. Just like if you want to be a really good spouse, be a really good Christian because the consequence of spiritual maturity is so many beautiful things that help you get along with people. A really good Christian is somebody who has a lot of grace and love and and wants to do the right thing and is very other-centered. Right, And so if you want to be a really good mom and dad, where do you think you're going to get that patience and, and, and wisdom from is from your own Christian life. And so if you want to give out something to your kids, you've got to put something in first. Or, or, or you're going to be parenting like I know the rules, but I'm not living it and it's not working for me. And, so, uh, and kids are so good at knowing that. That this is just a bunch of words. It doesn't mean anything. It has no root in your own life. So first of all, you take a look at yourself. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I've got that slide up there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, why is this called the fruit of the Spirit? It means from walking with God as a Christian reading your Bible, going to church, just being a Christian, loving the Lord, worshiping him. The fruit of that faith produces these kinds of things and it belongs to God, who's the Holy Spirit. So so let's take a look at these. When you walk with God, you will have his kind of love. Number one, unconditional acceptance. Now think of these things in the home. That's why I'm saying if you walk with God and there's fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're going to be, and it's going to be an awesome home. It's going to, you're going to be the, the most awesome parent ever. Love, unconditional acceptance. The kid will feel, I am loved for who I am. I have a sense of self-worth. A lot of us got the message, I'm only loved when I'm good. I'm only loved when I'm excelling. But if the fruit of the Holy Spirit's in the house, we're loved because of who you are, warts and all. Number two, joy, the the bright, optimistic atmosphere that's not dependent. God's joy is not dependent on um, 
what's happening. In fact, that's where we get the word happy from happenstance, what's happening. So it used to be that when uh, things were happening well, then you were happy, right? But Christian joy is like, hey, I'm going to heaven. God's making everything work. You know, this is a rough time. We're all in pain here, but we've got the Lord. So there's a constant up and hope in the house. So they don't live under the cloud of whatever cloud came in. They have joy and optimism and hope and some sunshine, even when everybody's hurting and upset or there's been a loss in the family or the gerbil died, you know, number three. Peace, that overall sense of well-being, order, routine. There's, the home is a sanctuary and soul rest. If there's peace in your home, your kid loves to be there. It's a crazy world out there. And they can come home to a sense of order and peace and, and, and protection. Uh, patience. Patience. This, this word means to suffer long or to be long-fused. How else are you going to deal with a toddler who has to be told a hundred times something? But we will get to why uh, you have to tell them a hundred times and why it should only be once or twice. Uh, yeah, so patience, grace and mercy is in the home. There's less pressure, there's less anxiety, there's more room to try and fail because you have patience. Kindness, it softens the edges when you have the fruit of kindness because you walk with Christ. There's kindness, the way you speak to people. You don't name call, you don't lose your temper because that's not kind. You're affirming, you're catching them doing the right thing, you're encouraging, you're being other-centered, you're building people up. Goodness, so in the home, there's not all kinds of filthy, terrible, violent images everywhere or conversations that shouldn't be talked about or gossip or conflict because there's goodness there because that's a fruit of the spirit. That's a part of being a Christian. And, and you're not trying to be good. It's a fruit of the spirit. It just is a result of walking with God and being under the sermons and being under the word of God and worshiping him. The next one, faithfulness. In the house, because mom and dad are, are keeping their vows, right? And, and because they keep promises and they, they uh, follow through and they're consistent. So kids know, well, we're going to Disneyland because mom and dad said we're going to Disneyland. And yeah, once in a while there's emergencies. But it, faithfulness just lets the kid rest, they know this is what's coming, and mom and dad follow through. They, they, their kids learn duty and commitment. Gentleness, it's a protection to everybody in the house from emotional and spiritual bruising and injury. We've got these little kids with intricate little souls, and we're poking around in there. You've got to be on point and gentle and understand, dear God, one wrong, you know, when you go in, you know, there's a, a surgeon among us here. You go in and you see a nerve there. They're careful. They are careful. And that kid's soul is wired with nerves everywhere. You can't just go in there and just say something off the cuff. You got to, like we all do. Like I've done. I'm just remembering something. A toddler, one of my toddlers, wouldn't brush her teeth. Well, now you know which one it was. 
since there's only one of her. Man. <laughs> and I, I raised my voice and I said, brush your teeth. A little louder than that. And she said, don't say those kinds of things to me, daddy. I translated that. I knew what she meant. Don't talk to me like that, dad. Not don't say those kinds of things to me, but the Holy Spirit corrected me. She's saying, don't use that tone with me, dad. There are nerves everywhere. And I'm just like, brush your teeth already, right? Okay, maybe that was more like how it came out. <laughs> All right, I know none of you have ever done that. But. And then self-control. There's no outbursts or very few. Temper, profanity, rage, regrets, a fall into to sexual immorality because there's self-control in the house. You don't go too far. You don't do too little. You're in control of yourself. Now, where do you get this is ideal parent right here? Where do you get that? Being a Christian. Being a Christian. Not rocket science. Picking up your Bible every day, reading your scriptures, memorizing one, going to church, listening to sermons, turning on Caleb in the car or whatever, Christian music, right? This is how those things come to you, how to be a good parent. And so, you know, people don't stop to think. They want to go to a parenting conference and get and what you are at, and you're going to get all that other stuff. But it's through work, walking with Christ comes wisdom and understanding. The Bible says, for the Lord gives wisdom and understanding out of his mouth. The Bible says that he is the treasure of all knowledge and wisdom. So I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you going to get the understanding? Then now moving on a little bit. Uh, how, how to get out of a standoff with one of them? How do you deal with a strong-willed child? How do you take away their fears? How do you instill confidence in a kid? How do you break them of bad habits? How do you get them to listen and obey? How do you find a balance between too strict and too lenient? And then the last thing I want to say before we move to the next commandment is when you're putting Christ first in your own life, mom and dad, you're called to deny yourself Pick up your cross and follow. Denying yourself means deny that self-centered part of you that's always exalting itself to get its own way. The me monster. Die to the me monster, right? So you're, if you're not, listen, if you're not taking care of your own issues as a Christian privately on your knees before God with your own demons as we call them, they're not literal demons, you know what I'm saying. Right? Your own insecurities, your, your own anxieties, your own envying, your own lusts, your own discontent, your own anger, your own pride. If you're not dealing with that, I promise you, you're destructive. You can't be the best mom. How can you be the best mom if you're out racking up the credit cards and putting the family into debt because you're out of control? Because you're not a good Christian in that moment, in that respect. God calls you to be self-controlled. And dad, how are you ever going to be a good dad when you can't control your lust? And you're looking at things that, that you would tell a 14-year-old boy, dad, no, 14-year-old boy, no, 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 that's not right. But you're doing it. You're distracted. You can't be a good dad because you are not taking care of business 
first. First you parent yourself. Then parent them. Oh, my word. I'll tell you, the biggest problem in, in homes with parenting is, is, is not the little kids around the table. It's the little kids at the head of the table who are still acting like little kids. Amen? You still love me? <laughs> I'm including myself in all of this, by the way. All right, commandment number two, then we'll take a break. Just a stretch little thing, right? Thou shalt teach thy children to know and love God. Well, of course, the mandate. Here's the mandate. I think I have a slide. The fathers, and it, the Greek word includes the moms, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then the second one just is kind of like, oh, notice this. Children are to a command. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right because... The parents have a mandate to teach them about the Lord. It's the parents' responsibility. Let's talk about that. The word, therefore, to bring them up is to nourish, to feed, to care. And the way God says you would do that as a Christian is to train them. That word means the daily disciplines of the Christian life. Not rocket science again. And then the second word there for instruction, it means a routine, consistent teaching of who God is and how we must live to please him. And so we're raising kids with the intention and purpose and focus to shape them into being adult Christians, really. And if you're not a Christian and that offends you in, in the least way, um, uh, at least think of it as a person who's decent, has, has some moral character, because that's what Christians are striving for as well. So you can look at it that way and um, be encouraged. But children uh, uh, are to obey their parents because the parents have been entrusted by God to teach them. So the primary teaching goes to mom and dad, not school, not, your, not the teacher, not the Sunday school, not the pastor, to you. That's your responsibility. Uh, everything else is gravy. There's nothing wrong with the youth group. It's just your job first before Pastor Adams or, or Pastor Garrett Jr. there, as we like to call him, Pastor Jr. Uh, it's God's design for mom and dad. Uh, Barb and I had a terrible realization, and, and we loved our parents, and our parents did the best they could, and they kept a roof and clothes and food in our tummies and all of that. There were Christmas presents and all of that. But uh, both of our moms had a very serious struggle with alcohol, both of our moms. And so we didn't get the kind of parenting that God's talking about. Reach into their soul, turn on the light. Uh, reach in, turn the thermostat on. Make it warm. Warm, bring light and truth and say, hey, wh what's going on inside there? How are you doing today? Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Interest. Hey, I saw you crying. Are you okay? None of that happened. So when none of that happens, the kid just kind of, and this is what Barb and I say all the time, we've raised ourselves. Pretty much. I mean, mom and dad did their best. We loved our parents. And uh, I would say all four of them came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ after we did. We first became Christians, then they did. And so um, 
amazing. Actually, on Barb's side, they came sooner than she. Um, and so I just want to be accurate about that. Um, and, and so it's our job to get in there and be proactive. Um, Second Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy, listen, um, I'll read it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know uh, from whom you have received it, your mom and your grandma, and how from infancy you've known the scripture. So that's when we start. We start at the beginning. Jordan's first words were Jiju. Jiju for Jesus. I still call him Jiju sometimes, just for fun, 30 years later. You know, she loved the Lord. But it started because every opportunity was just included Jesus in the conversation. She, she fell in love with Jesus when she, before she could even understand who he was, you know. And so uh, let's take a look at what the Old Testament foundation is. This is a great one, and then I'll walk through it with you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So first off, get the fact that there's a God and who he is. <laughs> there's one God. And you're to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to not just be in your head. It's really nice that you know them, but I want them in your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road with them, when you lie down with them, when you get up with them, tie them as symbols on your hands as it were, reminders everywhere around the house. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now the Jews do this thing. If you ever go into an Orthodox Jewish home, you'll see a little metallic or wood, little box on their doorpost. It's called a mezuzah. And so they take this literally, and it's a little emblem of the Ten Commandments. And so they tack it up there in their own Jewish hotels. On every door, there's a little, uh, over in Israel especially, there's a little mezuzah there. And the Pharisees used to tie this scripture. They cut it out and put it in a box and tie it to their foreheads. And they walked around with Israel with it tied to their forehead. God was not saying, tie this to your forehead. <laughs> and they had one for their hands. He was saying, look, put, put scriptures up on the uh, refrigerator. Leave Bibles around. Have a kid's Bible. Play worship music. Do things in or have a routine that in all your ways you acknowledge me so that I can direct their paths and your paths as well. Right? See, this is what he's talking about. A couple things about this um, scripture here. I really love that he says, listen, first of all, get it right, there's a God. So you introduce God. And that's so easy with little ones, isn't it? Look at the sun, look at the moon, look at the flowers. You know, God made the flowers, God made this, God made you. All of this stuff. And so that was the beginning. When Jordan got on an airplane to come home from America, I think she, I don't, or one of the trips, she must have been maybe four or five. And she had already known Jesus made everything. And we all looked outside and the sun was coming up and the clouds, it was so unbelievable. And there were several people all, all like, hey, look, look. And everybody was looking and it was dead quiet. And Jordan says, way to go, Jesus. <laughs> And all the adults were like, oh, how nice, you know. 
but they, there's so ample opportunities to introduce them to, the, to God who made things about the moon. We had Zachary. Zachary's saying at five years old. He said, Dad, God, he's looking at the moon. And he goes, God made the moon, right? And we said, yeah, he did. He goes, well, on tonight, he said, half moon, because it was a half of a moon. And he just thought, wow, God just is up there giving commands. You know, today, <laughs> today I feel like I half, but the way he said it, half moon. <laughs> it was like, yeah, do you see? You're tying everything, pointing them to the one God. There's a God. We didn't get here by ourselves. And so then secondly, he says, could you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Not just on Sunday, not just at Sunday school, not just morning time. And you said your prayers, now go do your thing. But in every aspect of life, to point them to God without driving them crazy and without being socially obnoxious or odd. <laughs> right? We don't usually err on that side. We err on the side that we go through a whole day without saying anything, right? So I don't usually run into too many people who, you know, look at, what God, look at that flower God made. And Jesus made the metal that went into that car. And then, uh, you know, it's a blue car. That reminds me of heaven because it's blue in the sky. And Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> I like impress them on your children. That word shenan in the Hebrew, it means to pierce. God's not kidding around. Get through to them with my word. Impress them, right? So when there's thunder, oh, your fear, right? You impress them with a scripture about mitigating fear. When there's a boo-boo, there's a comfort scripture. When there's a blessing, there's a thankfulness to God. When there's a success, there's a praise. When there's a failure, there's a grace. When there's a need, there's a prayer. When they're hurting, when they're sick, when they're lonely, get Jesus involved. That's what he's saying. When you get up, when you lay down, when you're walking down the street, not crazy, but just you're looking for teaching moments to say, you know, hey, when you're in the living room and somebody tells a lie, let's talk about that. What does the Bible say about lying? Uh, when you're in a parking lot and two guys are fighting, let's talk about that as it relates to the Bible and Christian life. When, a, when three fire trucks go by, let's pray for that family. We did that all the time. In a restaurant, somebody says, Jesus Christ. We say, hey, honey, listen, we love that name. We don't use that name like that, right? Because you're engaged. You're using everything. You're, you're not, I mean, just don't let it go by. Just kind of tag it. This is how you raise kids, to, to do this, to pierce them. If you don't pierce them, you're failing. Because God commands you, impress them. Don't distress them with it. <laughs> impress them with it. In our house, we use the proverb of the day. Whatever proverb, uh, whatever day it was of the month, we went to that and we took turns reading it in the morning, that kind of thing. So let me wind down this commandment with teaching them not just stuff to know, 
but teaching them how to live. Number one, giving them age-appropriate chores to do. I think one of the most important things you can do for a child is to give them work to do. It teaches them not to be self-centered, lazy, irresponsible, or helpless. I was raised in a house where my mother did everything. There was some screaming involved, like, why don't you kids ever do anything? Well, it's because you never make us do anything. And we only do things when you scream and throw things at us, right? And then we will. But we were never really disciplined into helping. My mother did everything. And you know what that creates in somebody when they're a teenager and a young man? Somebody who thinks everybody's going to do something for them, right? That was also countered by a mom and dad that worked really hard. And so they taught us to work hard, not by telling us, but by doing it. You know, you teach them, you know, they've got to be taught. My word. Little kids this this big. Adults walk by and say, hi, Johnny. Hi, Janie. And they snub them. So all the adults are standing there. And there's a total snub. I don't need to look up at you. I don't need to talk to you. I'm in my own world. Thank you very much. Go away. Who are you anyway? Oh, no, no, no. Never once got away with that with me. Grab their heads. And I say, honey, Mr. Smith just said hello to you. Grab the head. Look up. Say, hello, Mr. Smith. And hello, Mr. Smith. Say, very good. And then next time, you're going to make sure that when an adult speaks to you, you look at them and you greet them. You answer them. Every single day, kids snub and disrespect and do whatever they want. Mom and dad says nothing. No correction. How are they ever going to learn anything? Anything, if you're not constantly saying, excuse me, uh, even if you want to do it after, what you did there, that's called being rude. So I know you're not a rude boy, so let me show you what to do. You look at the person. And then after two or three times of grabbing the head, pointing it up, and fun, affectionately, you're not mad. You're not grabbing the head. <laughs> you're, not, you're not like a chiropractor clicking his head like, I'll show you. I'm going to make an adjustment here, boy, Clark. You know? No, but you're, you're directing them. That was, a, that was an inappropriate response. And here's what we got all through their childhood. Your kids... All the time. Your kids are so good with grown-ups. How? Yeah. You know why? Because they were taught. They're being taught. They're being corrected. It didn't start that way. It started like, I'll look at you when I feel like looking at you. You know? And who do you think you are talking to me? I've got my own life. Right? You can say an amen. Oh, that was... Pretty weak, <laughs> but I believed you. All right, let me see. One last thing. Truth is caught more than taught, right? So listen, you can tell them one thing. You've got to live it. They're watching how you treat each other. They're watching how you handle conflict. So you can tell them whatever you do, 
to stay calm when things fall apart. And then you guys fall apart. You've just negated the whole thing. You have to live out the truth. And I've got a whole commandment about that. So I won't go any further with that. Um, Reminders. That's what he's saying. Make reminders. I really like that. Um, There's a song called Daughters. I kind of like. Sometimes I listen to secular music. You know, it's not a sin. And uh, John Mayer. Fathers, be good to your daughters. Daughters will love like you do. Girls become lovers who turn into mothers. So mothers, be good to your daughters too. I'm just telling you right now. I am telling you, they are taking premarital classes now. They are enrolled. And you are teaching them. This is how to be a husband. This is how to be a wife. It's too late. You've already been watching. There's time to correct. There's time to amend. But they've enrolled. And they're catching more than you will ever realize because think back on your mom and dad. You were getting it loud and clear. You knew when daddy was happy and when mommy was not. You knew. And you saw And sadly, to this day, I'm a grandpa. To this day, I repeat patterns that were imprinted on me that may start in my head, and then I have to correct them because they got imprinted on me. Why? They were taught to me. They weren't even, you don't even have to try, and I've got another commandment on that. So we'll get to that one when we get to that one. Uh, So we pick up a commandment number three, Yes, thank you, Mr. Spencer. Thou shalt be full of grace and unconditional love. Grace-based parenting, very important. Most important ingredients, grace and love. Uh, If you're baking a cake and you're going to need baking soda and flour, or you're going to have a mess. And if you're baking a little kid (laughs) to become a grown-up, well-adjusted kid, you better have lots of grace and lots of love. What is grace-based parenting? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a safe place, safe environment created by you uh, for imperfect fallen human beings to be at rest as they are, not as who they're becoming. It is Love for the person, warts and all, as I've mentioned, and uh, it is fun, it is laughter, there's room to breathe, there's room to take risks and make mistakes. There's permission there to be honest and real, not fake, to be able to say what you really feel and really think, even if it's out of bounds, it's still a true feeling. It's, tr- it's a thought. We can talk about the morality, if you will, of that thought, but grace allows you to say those kinds of things, especially when they're younger and they need to say, I'm feeling this, you know? And it's, they need to feel like the space is safe for those kinds of conversations. Room to take risks, as I mentioned, um, 
being treated better than we deserve, cutting a lot of slack, kind of turning a blind eye to the non-essentials, being able to tell, you know what, that's a nothing burger, and I'm not going to make a something burger out of a nothing burger, right? That's grace. And so the, the, it's tricky because you're not lowering, don't get me wrong, the standards or tolerating disobedience. So you have to find that line. Here's what I mean. This is what will help you to be a grace-based parent right here. At a parenting class, this is what was put up there for mom and dad. This is what you need for your kids. Obedience should be immediate. Obedience should be complete. Obedience should be with a joyful attitude. Now, when I saw those words of working at Pepsi as a uh, full-time supplement to my ministry, these are back, uh, this is back 20 years ago, now, when I read those words, my mind, thankfully, uh, wasn't about the kids. It was about me and my obedience to God and my obedience to my employer at the time, Pepsi. So I started to do some thinking. So my takeaway was this, that sometimes the standard of obedience that I wish to enforce on my children is higher than the standard of obedience that I typically apply to myself. What do I mean? Well, let's take the first one. Obedience should be immediate. There are a lot of things I know when the Lord speaks to me or shows me something in the scripture, wants me to do something, put something on my heart that I don't necessarily want to do. It takes me a little bit of time sometimes to warm up to what he wants me to do. Let's talk about my secular employer, Pepsi. There was lots of things that I was told to do that I didn't do immediately. I drug my heels. I know I'm the only one in the whole room that has ever done this, but that's how it goes. How do you measure up on the list? And so I'm often slow to obey. I just am. Secondly, on the list, obedience should be complete. Well, there's a lot of things the Lord asks of me. I want you to forgive so-and-so. Well, I'll take a step, and I'm starting, but I have to come back and peel back that onion over and over and over again, and, and it just takes me a while, sometimes depending on what he asks me to do, to complete it all the way. And then when Pepsi would ask me to do a secular thing, there were things, you know, I didn't feel like completing that weren't gonna, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world if I left it till the next day. Breaking down the boxes or doing the dishes like I promised or doing the bills tonight like I promised or was expected to do, my obedience is not always complete. I don't know about yours. I'm just talking about me. And then the last one, obedience with a joyful attitude are you kidding me? Seriously? That's what I'm going to enforce all the time? 
How about me? When the Lord says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do good to those who use you. I want you to go the extra mile. If your enemy is hungry, I want you to bake them dinner. I want you to turn the other cheek. If they sue you, I want you to give them what they're suing you for and add, throw in a bonus item with a happy face, joyfully. And I'll just tell you what, I've done some of those things. And I wasn't whistling a praise tune on the way doing it, necessarily. All right? Sometimes I have the victory, sometimes I don't. But here's the point of this. Gracious parenting begins by daily recognizing our own need for grace. We must guard our hearts lest we fall into the trap of the unmerciful servant who accepted the master's forgiveness of his own debt but failed to extend mercy to a much lesser offense. In other words, you know, those poor victims, our children, when we, when we get this kind of stuff, and we go after them and say, this is what we expect of you. Without grace, what grace will do, considering your own problem and struggle with these three things, is to allow for a greater patience and a greater understanding and a greater grace to be extended to them, to the very things that you yourself fall short. That's what will help you with grace. Now, it doesn't mean that you will excuse them from wrongdoing or lower the bar in any way. All it does is affect how you enforce what's the right thing to do. You just do so with a little bit of grace, with a little bit of, oh, I know how hard it is. So that you don't come off like some kind of perfectionist and some kind of, I'm sorry, Nazi. It's like, you know, how does that saying go? I want it done the right, or I want it done right away, all the way in a happy way. You know, and I could just hear the Holy Spirit saying, and I want it done that way for you too. And it'd be nice once in a while for you to do that. Right away, all the way in a happy way, Pastor Ross. Yes, indeed. So when love is scarce and grace is lacking and the bar is set too high, you're going to discourage your kids. And here's the scripture about it. Don't exasperate them. Uh, Colossians 3.2, parents don't embitter them. I believe I have that, Spencer, somewhere. Maybe, maybe not. But it says in Colossians 3.21, don't embitter your children, parents, or they will become discouraged and so there it is the easiest and quickest and surest way to discourage them is to be stingy with grace to be a pharisee you know uh ex exasperators include number one unrealistic expectations setting the bar too high and mom and dad, if you do this, you're, you're going to frustrate the daylights out of them because they're never going to, to, to feel like they accomplished it. You know, so let their falling short a little bit and their attempt be kind of enough sometimes, right? Never let them be 
raised to think, man, you missed it again, you missed it again. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, and setting it out further and higher and further and higher. And we're talking about honor roll and first place and starring role in the play and touchdown every game and never strike out, never strike out, and all of this pressure. How do you balance that way? We want them to achieve. And who doesn't want to say at work the next day, my kid got first prize, you know? But you've got to work on that in your own head. To vicariously live through your kid is something that a lot of parents struggle with. There's no grace in that because you're... you're, Identity and your security and how other people see you is tied to your kid. And if you don't make a cut between that, you're going to put too much emphasis on how they're performing because it reflects on you. And if you're not already secure in who you are and you really need that affirmation from everybody to say, oh, this is just another... uh, ego lifter for me, my son the doctor. When, when he wants to be a plumber. No, 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 I need you to be a doctor so that I can feel good about myself. Or whatever. Fill in the blanks. There's like a billion blanks for you there. Exasperators creating performance-oriented kids. Achieve or I'm disappointed with you. A lot of kids to this, a lot of grown-ups to this day just feel they can never understand God's sufficient grace that says, listen, it's not about what you do, it's about what I did. Zero on what you did. That's why I love you the way I do. It has nothing to do with you, everything to do with Jesus. 100% accepted, loved for who you are, for coming to Christ. Do you know how many Christians to this day and in this room cannot, they wish and long to receive that. They know in their head it's true and they're comforted by it, but it, it's not there. It's not there. They have to convince themselves over and over again. It's really not. He really does like me. He really does love me. Why? Because you were raised to think that you only are valuable and you're only loved when you're on top of it. When you got all your ducks in the row, not when half of them are turning on their back, laying dead in the ditch. That was funny. Come on. You did not picture a whole bunch of feathers along a trail with dead ducks there? All right. I don't know, but that describes some of my moments in life. It's that my ducks are in a row, but they're all dead and upside down, laying in, <laughs> laying in a ditch. Hey, listen. Get over this, I need to be a perfect person thing in your head. Because you're not. And you're not making little perfect kids. We're doing the best we can being broken as we are. Right? Amen? Because if you don't have that mindset, you're going to be creating something that can never be created. Because there's no such thing. That poor kid. Unconditional love means when the whole world turns their back on you, I'm there for you. And the whole world may turn their back on your kid. 
or on you. But a parent who has unconditional love says, I may not agree with what you did. In fact, I may loathe what you did. But you can't undo that you're mine and that I love you no matter what. Just love you no matter what. A lot of us did not get that. And lastly, I have down here, you know, and, and, and it's okay for them in a house full with grace and love to not be who you wanted them to be. They don't like the family business. Sorry. Well, it's been here since 1812, right? Well, sorry, they have a life and they have interests and skills and they have a calling and they don't want to be in the family business. So you're going to waste five years of your life and 10 years of strife because you want them to, let's change the, the subject to mountain biking. Why can't you mountain bike with the rest of the family? Because they'd rather be at home reading a book. In a grace-based house, that's okay. In a dysfunctional house, it's not. You're the oddball. Why aren't you like us? Why aren't you like us? I'll answer that. Because I'm not like you. That's it. Nobody is like anybody else. We're all different. And we all have the grace to be able to say, you know what? You don't want to go to college. You want to work a trade. You want to be a welder. Do you know how bad some guys need that kid to go to college or it's the end of the world and the kid says, please let me just work with my hands. I look at books, I get nauseous, I have a panic attack. I, the words are upside down for me. But when I say when I'm underneath a truck, I'm like, oh, that's what I need, dad. Give me the grace to not be who you thought you were raising. You actually ended up with me. Is that okay? Oh, they got to get the message. It's got to be okay to be who they are and not who you thought they were and who you think you're raising. Mom is a master seamstress and the daughter doesn't want to look at a sewing machine. The guy plays the guitar like crazy. My father was a professional guitar player. My mother was an acrobat and a, a dancer on Broadway. They met on Broadway. And none of the kids wanted to play guitar. And none of the kids wanted to be an acrobat. <laughs> <laughs> they seemed to be okay with that. Uh, one last thing, we'll move to commandment four. Christian homes are dangerous because the ideal is always being preached and seldom obtained. That is why you need to lavish the grace. Because in a regular home, you know, there's some ideals thrown around. But in a Christian home, we've got the absolute truth of God. We've got commandments. We've got this is what God wants, right? But this, what God wants isn't what God always gets. So there better be a lot of grace because there's a lot of grace for you and me. And there's got to be a lot of grace for them. And when there's a lot of grace, whoa, you got healthy, you got happy, you got feeling safe and secure. And it's the fertile ground for them to even exceed 
those highest expectations. So the funny, ironic thing is you're wanting them to hit this bar without grace. It's adding the grace, which is counterintuitive to you, that actually allows them to exceed the bar because grace lifts them and performance orientation presses them down. Commitment number four Along these lines, thou shalt practice what thou preachest. <laughs> uh, introducing the crazy maker. I will guarantee you how to destroy your child and make them insane. Hypocrisy. 100%. They'll throw you and God right out the window in a heartbeat because they got a real good sniffer about what's real and what isn't, what's genuine and what's fake. And if they find out that you're all about the show and this is fake and you don't even believe it, they will be resentful, they will be angry, they will detach themselves, and I don't blame them. I would do. What a circus. A lot of nominal Christian homes provide great circus shows of, of dad and mom in one condition on Sunday and then another that's totally... Now, listen, when we go home, we all, to some degree, including me, have a, an at-home casual kind of thing. Do you think I'm not Pastor Ross in the kitchen? Right? I'm Christian Ross in the kitchen. We don't throw everything out, but to a degree, we come down a bit. We're at home. We let down our hair if we had any. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Sorry. Put you on blast like that. But, yeah, they're excellent observers. So you, you've got to be real. Romans chapter 2 has got one of those passages uh, for Christians, religious Jews, that he goes off and he says things like, okay, if you call yourself a Jew, and but I've changed it all to Christian parents, okay? So let's have a little fun with this one. Now, if you call yourself a Christian mom or dad, and if you claim to have a relationship with God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, I'm, I'm, I'm barely changing any of the words because you're instructed by the word of God if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor, instructor, I should say, of the foolish, a teacher of children, because you know the truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who tell your kids to get along with others, do you? You who teach them not to throw temper tantrums, hello, <laughs> you tell them the importance of sharing, do you share and give? You who tell your kids to obey the rules, is it okay when you break them? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the children who grew up with hypocritical Christian parents. There should be a little there. Awesome. Thank you, Spencer, for that. So how do you, how do you fix this? Here's how you fix it. You be yourself. See, if you do have a grace-based home, it's okay for you to have struggles. And you can even talk about them. Okay, this isn't what God wants, Johnny. Listen, what's happening here. This isn't ideal. But here's how we're working it out. 
you know, that was wrong that we said that or talked about this or used these bad words or whatever. But let's talk about it. Let's ask Jesus, you know, to forgive me, to, to, to help me. These kinds of things where grace is uh, present. But you're real. You're real about it. You're real about your weakness. You're real about uh, your faith. Um, you, did you know, by the way, when Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, what that really means? He's saying, when you're a critical spirit, when you're a critical person who's always cutting people down, you invite that to come to you. So in other words, if you know as somebody's always sizing you up, you feel uncomfortable because they're always judging you, what you're wearing, or you're, 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 you know, are you putting on a few pounds? You know, it's that kind of person. You are quick to already be cutting them down to size before you, they get to you. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. Judgmental people encourage judgmental people to come after them. So if you want to be treated with mercy, be a merciful person. And then people who get treated graciously and with mercy tend to treat you with the same mercy that you've treated them with. And so that's what he's talking about. And so with the kids. So you're on them all the time, picking them apart about every little thing. They will find where you fall short in the very thing that you have told them to do. So that's why you have to practice what you preach or be very, very fat on the grace because they're going to find you out. They're going to find you out. I got found out once, you know. I saw somebody, we were eating at IHOP and I said something like, oh my God, you know, about something I saw. You might have said it too. <laughs> and somebody said, way to break the second commandment, Don. And I said, I meant it as a prayer, okay? <laughs> it might have been a little bit of, oh God, look at this, right? Look what was happening. It was just wrong. I had kids there. It's IHOP. It's morning time, please. But no, do you see? Dad, you're always telling us, you're always saying this, but then you're doing that. So you have to practice what you preach. And that's why James says, listen, don't many of you want to be in the position of teacher because you're going to be held to a stricter measure. So you're the corrector in the home, you're the teacher in the home, and they're looking at you, they're watching you. You know, you're always on them about your room, your room, your room, your room, and then they walk by and see yours. <laughs> and then what do you say to that? Oh, and some of them are bold, right? They'll come up and say, you know what? I cleaned my room today because you asked me to. But I walked through your room today, and you know what? I almost got lost. I didn't know where I was, right? I had to look at my phone for directions to get out. I'm just telling you, put a lot of grace in there and don't be picky, picky, picky and live it out because they're going to nail you, right? And so, you, you know, learning comes this way. Whatever things you've learned or received or heard in me, Spencer, I have this, Philippians 4, 
or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So he's inviting what we already do anyway. We, we, we are, uh, we imprint, we get imprinted by people we hang around with. And so he's saying that is something so powerful is to watch the Apostle Paul under stress, when he's happy, when he's sad, when he's lonely, when he's tired, when he's in jail. Just watch him and then imitate him. He doesn't have to tell you what to do. Just watch how I handle this. And that's what they're doing. And so that's why it has to be right on because people are paying attention, the little people. Now, imprinting, let me talk about imprinting. Imprinting means, you know, uh, you were impressionable because the jello was forming, the concrete wasn't dry, right? Because you're young. And so what you're around a lot, it's just like an imprint. And it happens, quite frankly, whether you like it or not, right? Um, for example, I sneeze, I hear my dad. My dad visits, he's been gone for 20 years. But when I sneeze, that's my father. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. It happened because I grew up with 18 years of a dad sneezing near me. And that's how I saw it. When, when my sister answers the phone, it's my mom. She answers the phone like my mom. And that's not where it stops. I do a lot of things like my dad. I still hear... I'm sorry to say this. I still hear his profanity. I can't get it out of my head. I can't. It is there to this day. Because I heard it a hundred times a day for 18 years. Now, can you imagine if I heard a hundred times a day a praise, a thanksgiving, an affirmation a hundred times a day, good and pure and wonderful words. They'd be bouncing in my head. And some of them, there are some things that bounce in my head from my parents. I told you, my, parent, my siblings and I were all having dinner and one of them said, am I crazy or did, you, did I never see mom and dad sick in bed? Not once in my life. And we went, Okay, all four of us. Never once. Now, is that, that's impossible because my mom and dad had to have gotten the flu. They're humans. They had to have been sick. But not one of us ever saw my mother sick on the couch, laying down with a blanket on top of her, or in bed. She was always working in the home. And my dad was always working. He never walked in and said, oh, dad, you're not feeling well today. Why? They're the hardest workers I've ever seen in my life. And they produced four driven children. We're driven. I have a hard time with lazy people. I really do. Unproductive. Who need to be told, okay, now it's time since you have nothing to do to ask somebody, is there something, is there a way to be helpful? Do you know what I'm saying? I saw some people going, yes, we understand that frustration. But uh, looking at how parents handle crises, how they treat their spouses, how they attend church or not, <laughs> here's the thing. 
some parents said, you know, my kid went off to college and then never went to church. That was it. They don't come to church but every other month. Mom and dad, are you kidding me? They're doing what you taught them to do. Go when you feel like it. And they don't feel like it. But you're up in arms? Well, they stop. And that's the thing, the blind spots on us, right? We imprint them one way. Uh, we, we tell them how important it is, and then we don't do it. And then they don't do it. And then we get our nose out of joint because they're not doing it. Or how somebody dresses. A young lady in the youth group. It's summertime and it's like, whoa. No, 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 no. Right? But mom, it's the same thing. They're looking, they're learning, they're watching all of this stuff. So we, we teach not through our lectures, but by our lives. Let me show you one more thing. And then we'll take a break because the discipline one, oh, that's a fun one. Oh, yeah, you'll like that one. But let me give you this one. My mom and dad didn't give Christmas presents to each other. They spent all the money on us. I can understand that. So we started to do that. We thought, you know what? Well, you know, why am I going to spend an extra? We could do something for the kids. Then one of them said to me, Dad, what did you get, Mom? That was the last time that ever happened. And I made sure that every birthday from there, well, thankfully it was only four years old when he caught wind of that. Well, actually, honey, we, we spent all the money on you guys. So it was like, oh, okay. So then I made sure that every Christmas and every birthday, something that I never saw happen, happened. Look what daddy got mommy and pass it right in front of all three of them because this is how much daddy loves mommy. And this is what daddies do. They get gifts and they try to wow them. And so I was on a mission from God to recorrect that in his head because it's like, yikes, I just carried along something that, whoops, I wasn't thinking until I saw, Daddy, what'd you get Mommy? <laughs> I got her that sewing machine from last year <laughs> or whatever, yeah, so... You know, these kinds of things are so important because they're looking. Oh, one, one quote here, Dr. Glenn Prescott. He said, married couples, the greatest peace and security, the greatest gift you can give your children is the sense of how much you love their daddy or their mommy, even if you're not together with them. Positive regard for the other one. It will be a great blessing to them because they love the one that you can't get along with. They love them. And by you speaking well of them, it endears them to you. Let me say one more thing. This isn't in my notes. Barb's 
father and mother split when she was six. He drove out of state from the driveway with three of her siblings and left two with her. He was in the right of the problem, as it were. But the mom really did not like the dad anymore. And the mom, her mom, tried to disparage the dad, the, uh, speak terrible about the dad to the daughters. And my wife says, I was only six or seven. The more she did that, the more I resented her and the more I loved my dad. That's important. I know there are blended families here. So I know you have exes and things like that. Even if you don't like them, even if you can't get along with them, that kid loves that person. And you will do well by them to speak in loving terms of them. Amen? Let us face commandment number five together with courage and boldness. Thou shalt not spare the rod. So we're going to talk about discipline. This is my favorite one because there's, uh, I have lots of little examples and some practical insights that may be of some help because, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to tell them something, to have an ideal. It's another thing that when they don't want to do it, that they don't do it, they don't do it the right way, they do it with a bad attitude. This is the stuff of parenting, how to do that. Uh, the right way with wisdom and not making matters worse. You know, that's the thing you don't want to do. Is, uh, so many times you engage the child or the teenager. And by the way, uh, this is going to work for whatever age your child is. So all you have to do is change the tone of your voice because you won't be talking like, okay, this is what I said. Okay, if they're five or when they're 15, you change the tone and change the con text and the content of the words. And it's pretty much this template that I'm going to be talking about. It works for all ages. It doesn't work with husbands, um, but <laughs> it might. <laughs> all right. By the way, somebody reminded me of a quote I want to start with, um, not quite connected to uh, discipline, but generally speaking, uh, parents tend to take too much credit when their children turn out right, and they accept too much blame when there are issues. You know, we've got a lot of ingredients going on in the mix, and so uh, as we've been saying, we do our best. We try to live it out, and we try to trust the Lord with the rest. Amen. So the goal of parenting is to teach and to correct, not to be their best friends, but to be their parents. Um, yes, it's needful to be a friend and have a friendship with your children, uh, but the goal is to be a dis disciplinarian, a coach, a trainer, stewards of their lives before their best friend or their buddy. We do not want them to, the ultimate goal is not to love us, but to love God. The ultimate goal is not to be happy 
for, for Christians to be holy. And, and holy just talks about character and separated for God in faith. And so we've got to get our goals right. If you're afraid of upsetting little Junior, as Dr. Dobson says, to protect little Junior from hurting his feelings, you are going to end up hurting him a lot more profoundly by withholding correction. And so here are the three scriptures from the Old Testament that talk about disciplining. Now, when, when, when he talks about the rod, he does mean like a wooden spoon kind of thing. Uh, but it could be just mean some sort of painful deprivation is important. It has to be used to correct in cases where milder punishments uh, are not working. Uh, we're not really talking about spanking up until the end of this commandment anyway. But what I want you to catch here is the sense that defiant behavior that's repeated, that has crossed all the, the warnings and the minor rewards or punishments threatened, uh, then it's time for to up the, the uh, discomfort level of the consequence so that they will connect this bad behavior with something unpleasant. That is the Bible's wisdom that if they make that connection, they'll stop doing the behavior because they associate it with the, the unpleasant experience. And so they are, don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them or whatever it is that you bring a painful deprivation. Uh, physical discipline may well save them from death. And right, rightfully so, that's very wise because... Um, of where it leads, rebellion, where it leads. Whoever does not discipline his son really hates them, not loves them. But whoever loves him is diligent to correct them. I'll talk about what that means. A child's heart has a tendency to go wrong, but the rod of discipline removes it far from him, whatever that rod may be. I just say it's not exclusive to corporal punishment that we call a swat on the bottom. So let's talk about this goal of parenting to discipline our kids. And this is what love demands. First of all, it is loving. It is the definition of love that you care, that you intervene with correction. Um, a lot of people just think that that's not loving. Well, it's not loving to let somebody do something that's ultimately destructive without a correction, right? So... You know, for example, there's a game that kids play called chicken, and they'd lay out in the middle of the street and see who could lay there the longest before the cars are coming. And so when a dad catches their kid playing chicken like that, there should be some sort of <laughs> correction, lest they think that's fun and cute and get run over. So it's not loving. The unloving dad would say, oh, they're kids, whatever, who cares? You know, whatever, boys will be boys. And then the next day, the kid is run over because dad didn't love him enough to do the inconvenient and kind of troublesome and awkward uh, thing of stepping in and disciplining them. And that's one of the reasons for um, permissive 
parenting. Uh, we're going to talk about that. So love has a moral component to it. It doesn't delight in evil. It steps in, right? If, if the behavior isn't compatible, right, uh, with what is right, then we step in. We don't condone or enable it, right? So proper understanding of biblical love is that we save them from themselves and their bad behavior or to develop a lack of social graces or, or a lack of character that helps them in life. So discipline starts early, as I mentioned before, when the jello is still jiggling, not all the way done, or the concrete is freshly uh, poured. And, and so here, here is the template. All right, I'll show you. There's six of them. Six things I'll walk through. All right, so let's talk about these things. So you start early. They really must learn to do the right thing, to be wise and submit to authority and enjoy the reward and associate bad behavior with something unpleasant for sure. Now, the problem of permissive parenting, let's talk about that. Uh, let me define it for you. They're usually very nurturing and affectionate toward their children, but here's the deal. They have few rules or standards of behavior, uh, maybe because it's less work and less conflict and less headaches, or so it seems now, and or they want to be super cool parents who kind of put up with a lot, you know, like my parents. Um, I love them, but like my parents, um, my friends all love my parents because my parents provided the keg at the, deer, at the beer party at my house when we were in high school. And kids who were underage were there drinking because my parents were the coolest parents ever. But I wanted parents. Even then, I was not happy. I was embarrassed and humiliated. I wanted parents. And Tom Meserve had parents. And I loved them. And I patterned myself after Tom, my best friend's parents. His mother was a pediatrician. And his father was a surgeon. And there was order and peace and affection. And when I was over that house, I was like, oh, parents who were involved, parents who cared. There was routine. There was, oh, man, I just, it was hope for me. It was like, okay, when I get out of this train wreck, I, uh, there's some hope for me. And then I found Christ, and there was even more hope for me. Uh, permissive parents, um, where, where there are rules, they are inconsistent. They often seem more like a friend rather than a parent. Um, uh, they provide little in the way of schedule or structure. They emphasize their children's freedom rather than their responsibility. They ask their children's opinions on major decisions. There's one thing about involving them and saying, what do you think about this? And, and letting them feel like, hey, we considered you and you're a part of things. But per permissive parents actually are looking to them to dictate what they're going to do or not. I think we understand the normal thing of considering them but permissive parents, it's all about them, making them happy. And so what do you think? Your, your, your vote is what we're waiting for. No, it's what's right in mom and dad's eyes, right? With the consideration, of course. And then 
they rarely enforce any type of consequences. Uh, and that's what they're called. They're permissive parents. And it's usually born out of insecurity. Um, there's also problem with they come from an overly strict uh, upbringing. And so they're bouncing off of that. I don't want to be anything like my abusive father. So you're abusive in your own way because now you're on the other end and you're neglectful. It's still abuse. It was abuse <laughs> to get a keg for a beer party for high schoolers who got in the car and drove off drunk because my parents were the coolest parents in town because they were permissive parents. They were affectionate and loving. My dad was the funniest human being on the planet. My mother was pretty funny too. They were both entertainers, which says a lot about things. Let's dive in and get practical. And this template can be adjusted. Age appropriate, as I said, change your tone, change the word, it works. So let's get practical with this. Number one, I was cycling through Rio Nido or whatever it's called out there. There's a general store way out there. And I stopped there to refuel. I'm sitting at the picnic table in front of the general store when an encounter happens in front of me. It's a mom and her five-year-old girl. So I'm sitting there drinking my water and eating my carbohydrates so I can go on in life. And uh, the, this is what I hear. Here's how it starts. There's a beautiful Harley parked there. Beautiful. And the little girl's enamored, and she's touching the motorcycle. And mommy says, do not touch that motorcycle. Do not touch that motorcycle. I told you, do not touch the motorcycle. Don't you touch the motorcycle. How many times do I have to tell you, don't touch the motorcycle? If you touch the motorcycle one more time, I'm coming over there. Don't touch the motorcycle. Why are you touching the motorcycle? <laughs> oh, my word. I wanted to help her. <laughs> I want to touch more than the motorcycle. But, you know, generally, I don't help people unless they ask for it, generally speaking. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there observing this and going, I am paying attention because this is going to be used in my parenting seminar. <laughs> yeah, So because you don't know them, right? And so let's talk about them. Um, <laughs> so... Don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. And then she left her fingers all over, fingerprints all over that beautiful gas tank. Or how about this? Mom and a young boy, five years old, standing next to a, a mom and dad in their living room, the mom and dad's living room, and a visiting mom with her visiting five-year-old boy who climbs on the couch and is jumping up and down with his shoes on. Johnny, don't jump and down. Don't climb on other people's furniture. Johnny, get off the couch. Johnny, get off the couch. Oh, my word, Johnny. You're jumping so high on that couch. Whoa, I told you, get off that couch, child. Oh, my word, the couch. We don't do that. Oh, I'm so sorry. He's jumping on the couch. I told you, get off the couch. Do you get it? Yeah. Okay. Does it sound familiar? 
Um, let's talk about this. So, how many times do I have to tell you laughing and smiling at the mom and dad to get off the couch? Here's your answer. 70 times seven, that's how many times you'll have to, forever. You, you have trained me to ignore you because your warnings mean nothing. So I don't listen to you. Why should I listen to you? You laugh, you think it's cute, you repeat yourself until you're blue in the face. And yes, I know, after 26 or 27 times, then I'll probably get a swat or a yank or something. But I've got at least 25 more times. And so they wait. And they wait. And they wait. So here's, here's the, the weak parenting at its best. Uh, and in this sense, it's a breach of love. Because you're in, enforcing a behavior that will one day hurt the child. Because they they don't understand the significance of a don't do this. And if they don't respect your authority, they don't respect the Bible's authority, they don't respect God's authority, they don't respect law. And so the breach of love is why you don't love them and that you really secretly kind of hate them or hyperbole, as the Bible says, is because love would protect them from that, but instead of getting involved, you just do a lot of talking. Dr. Dobson, again, says to avoid the problem in the moment is to create a bigger problem in the future. That's a really good one. So let's talk about this. So first of all, um, how do we get practical now? Number one, set clear boundaries and and consequences, okay? So number one, that motorcycle young lady is off limits. Come over here right away. Come away from the motorcycle. That motorcycle is off limits right now. Okay, so we've established it. We've removed her from touching. Whoops, I saw that you touched that. No, we're gonna make this very clear, all right, that you do not touch the motorcycle. And number two, you explained why. If you can, you have time. Yeah, it, it's shiny. Isn't it beautiful? It's expensive, but it belongs to somebody else. And here's the rule. We don't touch what belongs to others without permission. That's what you're teaching. So stop. I'm very clear. You do not touch it. And you, you assist them if they're little. Oh, we take the hand away, we move the body away, and here's why. Here's the rule, we don't touch what doesn't belong to us without permission. Okay, so we told that. In other words, couches are furniture to sit on, uh, Johnny. It belongs to somebody else. You have your shoes on. It's rude. You, you, you remove the child from the couch and tell them why and explain what you're doing it for. This is somebody else's. That's their nice couch. We do not do that at home, and we do not do that. Well, sadly, they might do that at home. Uh, but uh, we do not do that when we're visiting um, these people's, uh, right? And fill in the blank. So you just say, it is, you will stop interrupting. It is rude. You will stop pinching. You will stop spitting. You will stop throwing food. You will... You will stop not coming when I call. You, uh, you make it clear. Number one, this is the behavior. This is the problem. This is what I want, and this is why. Right from the start. 
And then that there are clear consequences as well. If you touch the motorcycle again, in fact, see the yellow parking line there? If you go over that line, let me help you out here so we don't get to the motorcycle. Here's the yellow line. If you cross over the line, then we are not going to Froyo after this visit. Or fill in the blank. That's when you get to make your list of what works for you and what you seem will work, right? So, um, and by the way, don't take away things that benefit them greatly. Never ground them from youth group. Oh, they love youth group. Yeah, but you know what? Youth group's really good for them. So don't ground them from youth group. That doesn't make sense to me. Ground them from something they love and like, but but isn't necessarily a benefit from them. Don't ground them from swim class or from Cub Scouts or for things that really are adding to their character and helping them. Ground them from things that they want that aren't necessarily good for their soul, you know, so important for their soul. So get clarity. What did mommy just tell you? What did mommy say? What does mommy want? And what will happen if you don't obey? Get it back from them because you'll find out they didn't understand, right? Uh, What's daddy asking? Dad, I pick up my toys and put them in the box. Okay, why, sweetheart, is that important? Everybody helps queen. All right. Yeah, they have problem with consonant blends, right? (laughs) If I, and if you don't, well, then I have to sit on time out on the stool and no time at the pool, all right? Or you say, and, or, yeah, Dad, and no taking the car tomorrow, okay? I just sped it up 10 years. All right, and then I say, or you say, and I hope you don't choose that because you are going to, next step, put it all on them. This is all on you. You have a choice to make. Oh, I hope you choose the froyo. I hope you choose the obedience. I hope you choose the pool party. I'm all excited about it. But you have a choice to make. So you're either going to obey me and get the positive thing, or you're going to exalt yourself above me, the law, God, and everybody else, and do your own thing. Well, then you lose this. But it'll be your choice. Oh, I really want to go to the pool. I hope you choose. I hope you choose. I'm not taking anything away from you. You're deciding, Froyo or no Froyo. That is the question. That's Shakespeare, by the way. (laughs) Put it all on them and teach them early on to prevent them from blaming everybody else in their life for their problems. I couldn't go to Froyo. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I had to sit on time out because my mom's a big meanie. Oh, is that what happened? Because my mom told me I couldn't go over Sarah's house. She took it away from me. Oh, no. You must train this into them. You have a choice, and you are going to determine and let's speed this up 20 years, whether or not you get fired or you get to keep your job because you got called in and we, you were told you got to change X, Y, and Z. 
And then that young man goes out and says, I got terminated because No, 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 you chose. You chose to be terminated. But it starts with the motorcycle when they're five and they think that it's your fault because they couldn't go to the pool party because you were in a bad mood. Oh, no. I'll get back to that. So follow through. Follow through on set consequences at all costs. Take the child to the naughty bench. Sit them there for 10 minutes, not nine, not nine and a half, not nine and 59 seconds. You do exactly what you said you were going to do. What if they keep getting up? You keep putting them down. What if they keep getting up over and over again? You keep putting them down. A high schooler once told her mom in a battle back and forth like that, only 10 years difference, right? But back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And she said at the end, in the resolve time, she said, Mom, I was so scared. I thought I was going to win. I was so scared that you were going to compromise and give me that thing. I wanted you to win. Wow. They want us to win. And you will win. You will win. And you might feel abusive. And if you are doing something abusive, you know, check thyself, right? But you've got to win. You have got to win. They have to find out there's an alpha mom, there's an alpha dad, there is a God, and it's not them. They have to find it out. They have to find it out. You have to, you have to follow through. And then, you know, if the minor things don't work, right? The pool party, the froyo, the 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 allowance up, upping the allowance. You know, you've got a hundred of these things. Then, do do you want the wooden spoon instead? The wooden spoon is the last kind of resort. It's like I've tried three different things and, and it's not working and you're still bold and in my face. Uh, you know what? We're going to talk about all the parameters for using corporal punishment. But, you know, do you want the spoon? You know, or as PJ used to call it, the poon. <laughs> he used to say, well, I'll tell you a story. He goes... Um, I go, PJ, you're not leaving the table till you clear the plate completely. And he goes, like this? <laughs> right. And I'm glad, Aaron, to see you not smile there because, no, because that was the proper answer. It's not to because they're clever. They are clever, and it's cute when you see their little sin nature being manifested right before your very eyes. It's like how clever and cute and funny and how wrong and evil that is, right? But it's really hard. So I said, fine, you're getting the, the spoon. And he goes, no, Dad, not the poon. <laughs> and he grabbed my face like this with both hands and my face and said, Daddy, did I ever tell you how much I love you? <laughs> What are you going to do with that? 
take the poon to him. <laughs> That's what you do to him. This is the kid. This is a kid who uh, I don't know if I should keep on going. <laughs> but uh, go upstairs and prepare for a spanking. And he goes upstairs, and I'm like, it gives you time to calm down, time to find the poon. You know, so I found the poon, and I took it upstairs. And I said, okay, turn around, you know, you know, over. I go to just kind of, right? And there's like thick something. And I look in there, and there's like 17 pair of underwear. <laughs> and, I, and I go, what is this? And he goes, Dad, you said to go upstairs and prepare for his banking. <laughs> Again, what do you do with a kid like that? You tell him, get rid of the underwear. I'll come back, and you get in the poon. <laughs> Just be careful. You know, I'm not saying you can't smile, right? But I'm saying watch out for that. Because uh, to get the message, I can entertain my way and make people laugh out of anything. I can get my way out of anything by cracking a joke or enamoring uh, enamoring, my, endearing, I should say, myself to you, is a method I use and sometimes still use. If I'm in trouble with Barb, I will make her laugh. I will make her laugh. And you know what? It doesn't work for like the first four or five times. But on the sixth time, she breaks every time. <laughs> so if you want to prevent raising someone like me, then bring out the poon, <laughs> even when they're funny like that. Uh, so let me see. What if I don't have 10 minutes and I don't have time to tell? You know what? Is there a restroom nearby that you can just take them to the restroom and give them one swat? One swat. I mean, if it comes to that. Uh, when you get home. When we get home, we're going to talk about this. And then you never do. That's a problem. When you get home... Put away the groceries, get things calmed down, and then sit down and put the phones away and have the talk. Be clear. And go through the list. And then that last one, oh, so important. After it's all done, you come and check in. So here's how you do it. When you have time. I mean, you don't always have time for all of this. But let me just download the template. So you say, tell me what happened. So what, what happened there? Give me your version of this whole thing. And here's what you hear. Well, you got mad and made me cry and took all my toys away. Mean daddy. Is that what happened? Oh, no. Now we, we're back on timeout. And why don't we sit a little bit longer until, let me tell you one more time what really happened. This is what happened. You were told not to touch the motorcycle. You touched it anyway. We were very clear about it. And I told you, if you touched the motorcycle again, this would happen. And it happened. And so you chose to make this happen. And I'm really sorry about it. So that's what happened. Let me leave for 10 minutes and I'll come back and see and check in with you. And then I come back and check in with them. So uh, tell me, what's going on? Okay, I did something wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And then this happened because I didn't obey daddy. Oh, honey, you know, 
even that happens to daddy too. And when that happens, you know, we go to Jesus. Can we pray and talk to Jesus right now? Let's talk to Jesus because God loves you so much when we're naughty and when we're nice and when we're naughty and all of this. And so let's talk, let's pray because daddy loves you too. And even when we do silly bad things or that are wrong and we know we shouldn't do it, God loves me when I do things like that. And and I love you. And God loves you. And give me some snuggles right now, or I'm putting you on timeout. <laughs> I didn't say the last part. But that kind of thing. The resolve, the, uh, the thing, you know. You want the expected answer, right? You're looking for an answer. So what happened there? I have one more quote I can't resist. Well, Dad, here, here's what they might say. Here's what happened. Daddy said, if I jump on the tulips again, I couldn't watch Daniel Tiger. Well, what did you learn? Well, I need to listen and not step on mommy's flowers. Very good. I love you. God loves you. Let's talk to Jesus. Kisses and hugs and ice cream. Gotta come in after. Don't forget the after part of hugs and loves. I'm proud of you. You're a good kid. You know, let's go do something else. Now, here's another piece of wisdom. Try to avoid the conflict and the meltdown, the whole in the first place, the kid's touching the, the thing and, and already wanting to cross the line. I told you don't cross the line already. I see it. It's going to happen. Got, come over here. Look at the birds flying in the sky. Look at over here what's on this side of the parking lot. If we go to this side of the parking lot, there's no motorcycle there. And guess what? It's done. It never happened, Right? Preemptive strikes happen all the time. Change the topic. We don't have to go to war right now. We can drop some things. That we don't have to engage at every little thing, right? So there are other things to think about. Move into the kitchen where there's no couch to climb on. Hey, why don't we all just move to the kitchen when he's doing the trampoline? Of course, you know, he may climb onto the counter and walk around on the counter, but, you know, it's high. It's hard to get up there. And then also you can turn on the flames. For the <laughs> Don't misquote me. I've got a poon, and I'm not afraid to use it. Another way uh, that we can avoid the smackdowns kind of times is to, uh, instead of punishing the wrong behavior, reward the right behavior. That's really smart. I got into it with one of them. They were seven or eight years old. Caught them in a, in a lie. And uh, I kept threatening punishment. And the next day, I was praying at my work at lunch break. And the, and the word in my head, clearly, reward for right behavior. Popped in my head out of nowhere. So I went home and I said, hey, I'm not done talking about that, quite frankly, lie. You know, it's not a lie, it's not a lie. Well, okay, let me, let me tell you something. I think it's important to reward for right behavior. So, I mean, when you tell the truth around here, good things happen. So, you know, I was just thinking of great America and yes, maybe you would consider it a bribe, some of you. But uh, <laughs> I, I said, when we tell the truth and swallow 
our pride and do a lot of work like that because it's a lot of work to admit that for three days, whatever it was, that you've been lying, boldface, when you know that liars are thrown into the fiery furnace because that's what it says in the Bible. It says that in the great lake of fire, all liars will take their place. So for you to humble yourself and to admit the right, man, good things happen. I don't know. I was thinking about going to Marriott's, you know. Now, if you really didn't kick him off the top bunk like that with your two feet and let him land on his head like that, if you didn't do it, I mean, you tell me the truth and you tell me the truth, we'll go, we'll go celebrate because you told me the truth and you were right the whole time. But if you just want to be honest before God and, and just tell me what the truth is and it happens to be that you did kick him off, you know, then, you know, we'll go. Either way, we're going to go. So what do you think? And he said, yeah, I kicked him off the, the bunk. It was so much easier. So you have to be wise where you're not bribing them all the time, right? But you get into a pattern of, here it is, catching them, doing the right thing. Because it tends to be you're always catching them doing the wrong thing. Hey, 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 you know? Instead of, hey, 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 wow, sharing. Or, hey, that was considerate. Helping mom with the dishes. It's catching them. You're thinking it, you'll think it. Wow, that's nice, but you won't say. Same with your spouse. You see your spouse doing something that you're like, oh, wow, I like that. But you don't say it. It just stops right here. Say those things. Parent them that way. Now, to spank or not to spank. Hey, I've I've got this. uh, That in the back of your book, there's a printout by the American College of Pediatrics. It's so balanced. It's so good. Just read that. Decide for yourself. Um, You definitely can't deny that God uh, recommends some sort of corporal punishment. Uh, It's it's between you and the Lord and your family. But if you read the guidelines, you know, he says typically ages of use are 18 months to six years. It's uncommon from seven to 10. And then after 10, uh, it's just not appropriate. Uh, spanking should be uh, a planned action, number two, proactive, not an angry reaction. Uh, always administer privately, not to humili- humiliate someone. Number four, uh, the spank must be not harmful. Uh, it'd be unpleasant and, uh, yes, quote-unquote painful, but not harmful. You've got to know the difference. And I think if you just limit it to one swat, then you're okay. Um, always follow the spanking with the reassurance and the verbal review. We talked about that. And um, use it as a last resort. Use some minor things first. You know, lots of things. Lots of second chances, lots of grace, lots of this. Not, not, not too much of that. But, you know, spanking should be like something that kind of seldom has to happen. Uh, because there's just bold face in your face. I hate you. Well, you know, if you don't repent right now of that, then there's going to be the poon, right? And then, well, I don't care, you know, that kind of thing. 
then that has to be dealt with. And then you guys are smart enough to deal with that in your own way. Let's dive into the, the they get shorter and shorter now because that's the, that's the brunt, the crux of it. Let's look, thou shalt know thy child. And then we'll take a quick break. Uh, that is Proverbs 3 and verse 21. My son preserves sound judgment and discernment. This is about discerning who it is you're dealing with there because there's not one size all approach to parenting. Interesting parallel, guys and gals, married people. First Peter chapter three and verse seven says, live with your wives in an understanding way. And the word means to study them. In other words, if you're going to be a good husband, you've got to know what makes your wife happy, what makes her sad, what makes her uh, cry, which is pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> are you guys paying attention? All right. Um, you've got to understand, you cannot treat your wife the way you want to be treated. That will be a disaster because the way you want to be treated is like a guy. Right, so when you're having a problem and somebody comes around, you'd like him to help you fix the problem and then punch you on the shoulder. If you try to fix your wife's problem and punch her on the shoulder, you're going to get punched in the shoulder. <laughs> so it's understanding that you'll have an, an A student, you might have a B student, you might have a C student, you might have a special needs student. You're going to have a kid who loves school and doesn't appreciate it very much. You're going to have a kid who can sing and a kid who's tone deaf. Uh, you're going to have some that are like you, some, are, some that are like her, and some who are like a stranger from outer space. <laughs> you're going to have... <laughs> uh, you're going to have compliant pleasers. You're going to have rule keepers. You're going to have envelope pushers. You're going to have shy and introverted ones. You're going to have flamboyant and extroverted ones. The bottom line was works with Johnny doesn't necessarily work with Jeannie. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, and you do, is to figure out who you're dealing with and adjust the plan accordingly. We had Zach, the industrial type A perfectionist kind of kid who was hiring college kids when he was 13 for his lawnmower company lawnmower business, I should say. We had PJ, the entertainer, the type B, who would come into a room and say, okay, okay, I'll sing for you. <laughs> we had Jordan, the people pleaser, needed everyone in the house to be happy and calm. And Zach, quiet, good at math, PJ, loud and great with words. Jordan, a little bit of both, with her photographic memory. Different children, require different strategies and motivators and patience levels and expectations and never, ever, ever say, why can't you be more like Johnny? Because here's the answer. Because he's Johnny. And I'm Jim. That's why. Uh, each child, unique disposition, personality, calling, vulnerabilities, besetting sins. You've got to take that into consideration. You know, the author, uh, authors Gary Chapman and Ross Campbell, uh, he, they wrote, for a child to feel loved, we must learn to speak their unique love language. 
Every child has a special way of perceiving love. There are basically five ways, children, indeed all people, you know, this, this is a little dated, but it's the five love languages. I think I have a picture of them. Let me just talk about three of them. Time together, no, that's touch. Physical touch, gifts, time spent together, acts of service, and verbal affirmation. Um, who doesn't like all of these? That's my problem with the book. Is that I want them all, and I want them now, or I'm taking out the poon. No. <laughs> it just stuck in my head, so I keep saying it. So listen, but there are some people who really prefer this. This is like the, you know, how many of you have a clear winner of the five for you? How many of you would say there's a couple there that really stand out to me? Yeah, okay. How many of you say I want them all, all the time? <laughs> You're a lot of work, just saying. All right, like me. All right, so let me just talk about three of them. Physical touch. Listen, touch your kids, hug them, smooch on them, squeeze them while you can, wrestle them down when they get older, Throw yourself on the floor when you get home, guys. Let them climb on you. This is very, very important. Very important. You know why? The end of the day, the end of another day, the end of the another day, I promise you, you will not have touched them because you're just super busy. And they're super busy. It depends on the ages and all of that. But if you're not careful, your dog will get more affirmation than your kids. I promise you. And this is how... It came home to me. Uh, once one of the kids got up, it was Saturday morning. There was Wally and one of the kids walked by me, right? One of the kids walked by me. Let me start with Wally. Wally, the oversized golden retriever, right? Yes, how was your sleeping time, Wally? Oh, you such a good boy. You know, oh, Wally, what were you up to all night? Nothing good, right? And just talking, and you know, slapping his ribs, the whole thing, you know, and he's happy, and I'm all about him, right? And then one of them walked by. It's morning. It's morning, you know? They walk by, and I'm like, hey, Zach. Hey, Dad. Wally got 10 minutes of hugs and attention and what you want you want to play with the ball Wally you know and and God was like dude you've got to make some changes here okay let's just swap roles why because it's easy it's easy with the pet and so I went in the other room and I fluffed up his head and I'm all over him and I'm asking him things and I'm putting him in a headlock and I'm saying, what do you got planned today, kid? You know, oh, it's just, that's how God works with me. And then I log that in and I just say, you know, do it as much as you can to all three of them. Count the hugs in a day. You will come up short and you'll go, what am I doing? You'll come up short. Life just goes by. So you have to intentionally think, I'm going to hug 10 times today. Each kid, I'm going to get them in a headlock, look them in the eye, and say something into their heart. Or days and days and days and days will pass, and you didn't get in there and, and, and grab their little spirit. You know, that's important. 
And that's important. Uh, the second one is word, words of affirmation. It's kind of along the, the same line. Great job catching them doing something good. Great catch. Boy, I just love, you know, even when they strike out, ways to talk to them, you know, words of affection. I love you, honey. You're, you know, I bet with your great mind, you're going to figure this out. You know, one child in our house always needed those kinds of words, you know. And, and uh, quality time. Quality time. Listen, I was always running around. I take one of the kids with me. What a great thing that was. And then a second thing was I'd take them to spend time where I wanted to spend time. So it was no longer a chore to go do something with a, with a kid that I didn't really want to do. But I picked a place that I loved too, and they loved as well. And then I really wanted to go there more, right? So each kid had a, th- a special restaurant. Each kid, Jordan had Chevy's. We do it to this day. They're all grown up. But growing up, it was like no other kid could go to Chevy's with me except Jordan. And nobody could go to Mike at the Yards and eat beef except Zach and me. And then nobody could go to <laughs> Max's Opera House in San Francisco, except PJ and me. And doesn't that make sense? He's an opera singer. He sings opera. I mean, he's a pop singer. He's a high school choir director now. But he can, and for his recitals, sing opera. But it all uh, uh, really uh, beautifully talented uh, young man. But they all had their places and quality time. And here's the thing about quality time. The second you check out, the second you escape in your mind, they know it. They know it. You're on the phone. You're watching the television in the restaurant instead of paying attention to them. I will remove myself and seat myself the other way because even I don't even like the game. I don't even want to be, but it pulls you in. Right? And so they think like he's just interested in the game. Oh, so you got to look into their face and pay attention. I'm at the computer once and one of the kids grabbed my face and pulled it over and said, Dad, this is important. Can you just pay attention to me right now? Ah. They know. They know. In that case, it wasn't hard to know. But they know. They want time. Pay attention to the game, to the artwork, to the flip they just did. Daddy, daddy, did you see? Yeah, 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 whatever. Okay, and um, yeah, here, here's one writer said, put the phone down, remove the distractions, look into their eyes, pay attention. They know when you're physically present and when you're not there. Uh, the lyrics to that song from what? The 90s, I Will Dance with Cinderella. Let me repeat it to you so you can all feel bad and cry. <laughs> so I will dance with Cinderella or little Prince Charming. Mom. Dance with them now while they are here in your arms. Because I know, we know something the prince or princess never knew. Or I will dance with Cinderella or Little Prince Charming. I don't want to miss even one thing because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and they'll be gone. And I remember thinking, that's so 
long from now. I remember where I was driving when I had to pull over when I heard this song for the first time and cry like a baby. I remember where it was. It was in Concord on 680. And thinking, I've got years. <coughs> and then it happened. And trust me, look at me, every one of you with little kids. I promise you this. If the Lord tarries and you survive, <laughs> it's going to happen. They'll be gone. It seems a million years. And it seems like you have all this opportunity and you're going to do it. But I'll tell you what, I wish I did more. Even though I was awake and I knew and I was singing the song and I was watching it happen before me. It's still, you have to work, work, work because of your life and the fast pace of everything. Every morning you start to redirect and say, I will conquer this. I will dance with her and I will dance with him, whatever that means. I will get involved with them. I will be present. Because in a blink, I promise you, you will be a grandma, you will be a grandpa, and you will watch them drive away with somebody else. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we're just going to end this one with prayer and just ask, Lord, to keep these truths in mind that life is like a vapor. All of our lives are like a morning mist that when the sun comes up and out, we're gone in a poof, in a twinkling of an eye. So help us seize the day and make the most of our little Prince Charmings and our little Cinderella's while we have opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Commandment number eight, thou shalt leave them room to grow up. This is a good one. Okay, okay. Wow, that was very clear, right? I, I, and I know the consequences as well. You don't need to tell me. Seven, you want to make memories? Okay, that was one of them right there. All right, making memories, the, the key verse for this is Numbers 10 and verse 10. Also at your times of rejoicing, the Lord speaking to his people, your appointed holidays, holy days, vacation days, that included him, right? And your new moon festivals, it's a party, it's a Christian party, as if you will. You, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. So he wants routine of rest and breaks and joy. This is important to God, and that we enjoy our lives and include him in it because he's a part of everything. So long story short, have fun, create leisure. A good parent and a well-balanced home has moments of nurturing recreation, just the word alone. Think about it. Recreate, right? So all work and no play makes Jack a very dull boy, as they say. So family traditions. Oh, they're so much fun. We didn't have any family traditions, really none. 
But family traditions around Christmas time, spring break, going to Mexico, we had a song that we sang. There's, I think, I think DC Talks sings. I don't know why they'd be singing, We Went Down to Mexico. Yeah, you know. And, and we put that song on and sing, We Went down to Mexico and all of us in the just and we do it every spring break we had a place to go in Ensenada every summer we went to, to Hume and had some fun there and we had special games and special card games and all kinds of things just to make memories big breakfast on Saturday with the pancakes uh, a mile wide you know skits at Christmas time dad was always the donkey Right, we put socks on the ears to be the donkey's ears, and Jordan would be the Virgin Mary, and the boys would be some tax collectors or something like that. <laughs> um, sports and all of these things that are so important. Now, spontaneity, somebody said this about spontaneity. Being spontaneous once in a while is the spice of life. Being spontaneous all the time is a crazy person. <laughs> Where is he? Oh, all right. I know somebody who's spontaneous even more than I am. I like to be spontaneous. One time, I'm driving down 101 in Santa Rosa, and it was like a Friday, and I had the weekend off, and so did my kids sitting there. And I said, do you want to go to Disneyland? And he goes, when? I said, right now. I said, I will drive right now. We're not packed. We'll stop at Ross Chess for less. What do you need? Shorts and a T-shirt, right? That's all you need. Flip-flops. Done. Right? Because, Dad, you're serious, aren't you? You're freaking me out. I said, why should, you, why should I freak you out? You go right now. Before that exit, you tell me right now, and we're going to Disneyland. And I said, Dad, no. I can't do that. Right? It was the wrong kid. I had the wrong kid in the car. <laughs> I had the responsible kid in the car. I needed the other one. If I would have had the other one, or the other one, the other two, I should say, uh, there would have been a memory in Disneyland. <laughs> Instead, you know, I had to reorganize the garage. Ah, the experts agree. Outdoor recreational. Spencer, do I have this one? Or I'll just read it. Well, yeah, experts agree that. Let me, I'll just read this while you look and have fun. They, ex they just say what we all know. Outdoor recreational activities are great benefit for families, healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally. It allows for collective rest, special bonding that doesn't happen in the normal routine of life. And so... That's a plus. Uh, you're going to have to schedule and plan. Do you know what's up this year? I mean, I hope you have it. You just have to just kind of work it in or it doesn't happen, as I've been saying, or your life will really uh, pass you by. Um, regrets you'll never have. I wish I spent more time on Facebook. I wish I spent more time at the office. I regret not spending more time on my phone. I wish I could have cleaned the, up the house better and organized the backyard. You won't be saying those things. We will all be saying what I say. I wish I would have spent more time with them. 
Yeah. Ministry has its advantages and its disadvantages. I would have done some things differently. I think I would have put family a little higher than some of the ministry calls, some of them. I would have done that. And I think you should too. I tell the staff, family before ministry. I mean, they have a job, obviously. (laughs) It's God, family, ministry. And what gets in the way for devoted Christians is that God and ministry use the same language. So it can get a little blurry. If I could do it all over again, I'd be more intentional. I'd pay better attention. I'd be more connected. Uh, Commandment number eight. Are we ready for that? Do I have permission? (laughs) Thou shalt leave them room to grow. The key verse, 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed in, and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him against that day. In other words, you know, you do your best, and you have to leave the rest to God and give some space, man. You are not God. You are not their savior. And uh, their success or failure in life does not hinge on your involvement 24-7. You're not going to make it happen. Uh, You have to leave space for them. Uh, Let's talk about the helicopter parent syndrome. All right. Let's get that definition up there. The term helicopter parent, do you have that one? I can read it. No, I'll read it. The term helicopter parent first used in 1969 by an author to refer to a style of parenting where mom and dad are overly focused on their children. They typically take too much responsibility for their children's experiences and specifically their successes or failures. They overparent, if you will. They are over-controlling, over-protective, and over-perfecting, which supersedes responsible parenting, turning it into something very unhelpful and unhealthy for everyone in mind. So we are raising children to be individual. Listen, you are raising them for the day they can leave you (laughs) as an whole autonomous adult with their own life so that they can cleave and make a life apart from you. That's how you're raising them. You're raising them so that that day will come easy, not hard, but because of our um, idolatries, our idolatry of them, our own insecurity, our own marriages, that we're not getting what we need from our marriage or our relationship with God, so we get it from the kid, And we make it so hard for them to grow up and to leave. You're preparing them for that moment. And that you should keep that in the back of your mind so that you can give them some space. 
right? So this was really hard for This is very hard for everybody because allowing them space to think, form their own opinions, choose their own friends, pursue their own interests uh, within, you know, what this common sense career paths. They have their own values, their ideas about politics, their own standards, right? They have to become their own person. And there's a delicate balance between how much we should be influencing all that. When it comes to morality and scriptures, black and white, we, we're in there. We're going to say, this is black and white. That's right. This is wrong. But so much of life isn't. There are gray areas, and you have to just let them have some space to try and fail in areas that maybe you would have said, hey, I could have told you not to do that. But how else are they ever going to? You cannot smother them. You cannot helicopter over them like that. And the very thing is, is that you give them the grace they're going to choose wisely, but when you strong arm them into something and over control and over parent, you're, you're creating somebody who just wants to get away from you because they're not technically your child when they become an adult. They want to be them, like off in the world somewhere with the loving mom and dad in their minds and in their lives. But they can't form when you're, you're everywhere and every thought. There's so many things that you just have to kind of uh, let go, right? Their own conclusions about God and life and, and people. And if you don't supply the space, they will make it. They will make it. They want the space, right? They don't want to feel coerced. Moral issues for sure. What about tattoos? What about him? Is this the hill you want to die on? I personally, you know, I told them what I thought. It's crayon on skin. It has nothing to do with the heart. I had to tell myself. <laughs> Some of them look good on certain people when you're young. Piercings. I myself, you know, I don't have the courage to hurt myself. I really don't. I gave myself a shot once I almost passed out. I've told this story before. Barb was gone. I had to give myself a shot back in the days. And so I was sitting there. I had my summer shorts on. It was summer. It was hot outside. I was on the patio. And I took the the syringe and I I just thought I have to put it in my thigh I'm sitting down I had to put it on top there you know and I'm just like aiming and I was like pray God help me (laughs) and 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 in my sweatiness it slipped out of my hand and it went into my thigh and it went like this and while I'm watching it go like this I'm like I'm gonna pass out (laughs) So yeah, no, I don't understand piercings. They look very painful. Uh, but it, are we really going to go through hell for three months? Do, can we just uh, 
between you guys. Now, some of you are really good at taking a scripture and making it say, thou shalt not, right? But does it really say that? You're like, yes, it does. (laughs) As long as they're under my roof, that's what it says. Um, Yeah, certain friends make up music clothes to some degree. They're going to do things we don't like or, or don't think is smart. Choose your battles wisely. I'll close this one out with a Christian family. They didn't like the guy. She's 18. She's dating a guy who wants to be a missionary. They're well-to-do. They told me, personally, to my face, we don't like him. I said, he wants to be a missionary. He's a Christian. Yeah, we raised our daughter more for like Wall Street. We want her to go to business school. She's got a business. She's gifted. Uh, that's who she is. She, uh, we didn't raise her to, to, to go on some uh, dirt heap in Africa somewhere or Asia, right? And I was appalled. And I said, well, whoa, wow. I'm going to have to agree to disagree with you and side with your daughter on this one because I, th- I think that it's pretty cool that the husband, the, the boyfriend... Well, she married, and they're estranged to this day, 15 years later, with babies, completely estranged. I don't mind saying it's for the benefit of the younger couple (laughs) that they're estranged from that kind of thinking that says, and they believe to this day, you didn't come under your God-appointed parents. You didn't honor your parents. So you've sinned. She's 18. She's not doing anything immoral by marrying somebody you don't like who's a born-again Christian who's spirit-filled and wants to go to the mission field. And it turned out that he ended up in the world of finance and they're wealthy now. Oh dear. God has a sense of humor. Does he not? Listen, that's what that's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I'm your parent and I know your giftings and, and God help you if you do something out of line. Please give them grace. Are you gonna uh, yeah? Last one, thou shalt. Uh, no, number nine. Pray, pray with them and p- pray for them. You use everything you can to bring Jesus involved. Your little girl is crying. Let's talk to Jesus. Your teenage boy is anxious. Let's for the team. Let's pray. There's a big test tomorrow. Not just see, not just in the morning or in the evening. Use the stuff of life to direct them to pray. Um, how about this news um, that they hear? happening, current events. Use those things to pray about because they're upsetting things. So when your 11-year-old hears, you know, about nuclear war on television or, or somebody took a truck and ran over everybody in the parking lot, there's, that's a time to talk about God and to pray. So current events, uh, little ones, uh, 
little um, one-sentence prayers. So you say, Lord, I thank you for, you start them out. Or I, I uh, Lord, please forgive me for, right? And Lord, please help my friend to, you know, or please help the situation or help me more and that kind of thing. You know, dinners at the end of the day, uh, we used to say, what was your high and low? And then somebody would say what their low was, and then we prayed about that. So just being uh, mindful to, and, and don't ever tell your kids, did you say your prayers? Do you know what that sounds like? It's a one-sided dialogue where you just lay in bed and say your prayers, right? Instead, say, talk to God. Talk to God about everything. Have you talked to God today? You know, uh, well, about this issue, can we do it? Well, what does your father say? Did you, did you ask your father? Did you talk to God about that? You know, did you tell God how you were feeling? Do you see that's the praying that we want? We don't want saying our prayers at night because that's a one-way meaningless sometimes thing like that. Does that make sense? Now it's time to finish. Number 10, thou shalt shelter them as long as thou canst. All right, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, 20 verse 2, verse 21. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. I had a passion, and probably the most passionate thing about raising my children was to guard them and shelter them from moral defilement, violent things, conflicting things, negative things, upsetting things. Here's the deal. I thought, they're going to have how many years to be in Wonderland? Nine you get nine summers, nine Christmases, nine birthday parties. That's not a lot before they have to realize that people kill people and that people hurt children and that there are wars. So what I did for nine years is look over there. Look over there when somebody's in the parking lot having a meltdown. Look over there. How about turn up the radio so that they can't. My job in life was to mute the television Change the channel. No, no, that's a bad commercial. Turn their heads. Keep the conversations about negativity, about different people, about church problems. They never heard a negative word about church or Christianity or Christian friends ever. It never came out of our mouths. Why? Would I ever put a seed of negativity in a six-year-old about somebody at church or Christianity or there's a struggle at a church. But my word today, oh, parents will just, just go to town talking about all kinds of things. Aunt Martha's leaving him and she should leave him because he's a womanizing. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Never once. It never happened. I was a maniac about this. I am going to guard them. They're, they're going to slowly find out about Aunt Marjorie and her womanizing husband. But not while I'm sitting around and they're seven years old. They are going to enjoy being a child. So while God is working on their spirit, 
They don't have to go to sleep at night and wonder, wow, there are bad and evil people in this world. And people who don't love each other. And people, oh, no, no, no. I'm not talking about neurotic, uh, Amish kind of thing. I'm no offense to the Amish people. But I'm not talking about extreme things like that. I'm talking about guard your conversation. They're listening. They're right there in the room. Yeah, I fired them. Why do you fire them? They never heard any of that. They didn't hear profanity. They didn't hear it. It was until they were 10 or 11 or 12 that they wanted to know what certain words meant because they never heard them, ever. I was so proud of that. That was my job. That was my job. I'm going to keep you clean and free of worry and anxiety and conflict. It changed the station with the news. You couldn't watch the news anymore. These were the things that we worked really hard for. Spinning the stories of the relatives so that they have a good, happy ending. I'd be reading a book and I'm like seeing where the book is going. And I, and I just thought, that's a sad ending. And you know what I did? I changed it. <laughs> oh, there was no problem. And they had no clue. No clue. And then you know what happened? And then the dog, where the red fern grows? I remember the book. Not only does the lead dog die, then the other dog dies too. So we got two dead dogs at the end, right? So I had the dog that lived have puppies. And all the puppies were climbing over everybody. And everybody was so happy. You know, (laughs) it was so much better than that disaster, right? You know? It's like, what's happening here? And then she crawled over the grave of the dead dog and died of a broken heart. Okay, kids, bedtime. (laughs) None of that. None of that. Until they're nine. I didn't even talk about hell. They did not know there was a hell, and nor should they. I mean, if they caught wind of it somewhere. I mean, they go to church every night of the week. But I'm not talking about hell until you're 10. And now what do you do with the phone and the internet and everyone's in your living room and in their head? Here's what you do with the teens and social media, and then we're done. Number one, parents must be role models. You're the role model. Adult supervision always needed. Are you kidding me? They can have access wherever. They're little sinners. They're going to access the wrong thing. They need to be on them. Software helps keep... Uh, keep, there are software programs that help keep, keep kids accountable and safe. Social media, you budget the time. You get from this to this and where I'm sitting over here. It depends on their ages. But, you know, still, budgeted time. Warning, things live forever on the Internet. Do not post personal things. They live forever. Your in future prospective husband your future prospective employer will be looking 
on this. Surrender phones at bedtime, some things like that. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was letting them go to movies with their friends. There's, there's um, different websites that will tell you every single foul word, every single, to a, to a fault, I think. I mean, they go overboard. They'll tell you things you like, are you kidding me? That, that's not even negative to me. But, but at least you'll know everything. And then we would read it out loud. No, I want you to read it out loud. Why can't I go to that movie? I want you to read this paragraph out loud to me. Woo! It's embarrassing. But if they won't take my word for it, then I want you to hear what you're about to see. And if you're okay with after reading that paragraph, and then, you know, they'd read it first to themselves and then say, oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that was in there. Yeah, that's my job. That's my job is to read the paragraph first for you so that you're not sitting there and watching, right? Watching that. So we have to be careful. Let me say a couple things about dating. How many of you have teenagers? All right, a few of you. Okay, we believe that dating, in the world's understanding of dating, leads to losing your virginity, essentially. Because it goes from holding hands to making out to the next step and to having sex. That's what the world does. So we believe in courting. So we wait until we're 18 to court. So my kids were told, if you have a crush on somebody and you really like somebody, I'm so happy for you. Um, but, and you can, in your little world, say, we're going together, but you're not really. You can go bowling together with all the other kids, but you cannot officially date until you can do something about it by getting married at the end of your dating time. There's lots of good books on this. But there's no point letting somebody date when they're not even fully formed yet. They're not mature enough in a world that expects you to uh, go all the way and have no problems. I believe that you, you, you can't even get a Tylenol at a public school without permission from your parents, but you can get an abortion, and that by law they can't even tell you that your kid got an abortion. We live in a different kind of world out there. Right, so I, I would say be careful about encouraging them that they can just have crushes and then communicate privately like that when they're minor kids in a world like today. I think you have to step in and kind of make sure that that kind of behavior isn't happening because it just kind of leads them down the wrong uh, path. So I think we covered most of the bases. Let me go over the commandments and then we'll pray and have lunch. Commandment number one, make relationship with Christ your first priority. Number two, teach your children to know and love God. Number three, make a home that's full of grace and love. Number four, 
Practice what you preach and teach by example. Number five, don't spare the rod. Correct them and save them from themselves. Six, understand what makes your child tick and parent accordingly. Number seven, have lots of fun, enjoy life, and build family traditions. Number eight, give them space to breathe and develop into their own person. Number nine, never stop praying with them and for them. And number 10, shelter them from the defilement and all the negativity all around them. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we commit to you these truths, all the details and every little bit of it to you. We ask for your blessing and your help to implement and that you would guide us, Lord. Help our kids, Lord. We pray that you'd fill them with the Holy Spirit, that you'd help them to have a soft heart toward the things of God, that you would bless them at an early age, that they would fall in love with you and live for you all the days of their lives and be walking in the truth and bring us great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.